Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Loving Family Podcast, where we talk about all things polyamory, parenting, queerness, and love in the modern age. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Modern Loving Family for our last episode in our Unchurched series. Hooray. What will we do after this? We'll have to continue unpacking the trauma <laughs> off the air. I'm sure so. we can find other traumas. Yeah, probably. We can even probably find additional religious trauma if we really dig hard enough and believe in ourselves. I mean, organized living has been around for a long time, so there's countless stories out there. There's got to be. <laughs> it, it is the holiday season. If if nothing else, there will be religious trauma abounding for everybody. Oh, Look God. at that. That's very true. Hadn't really even thought about that. Well, how are you both today? I mean, it's been a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners who don't know us in real life, our children brought home plague, like actually a couple of different plagues. So we've had RSV and we've had hand, foot, and mouth in this house. And Hand, yeah. foot, and mouth sounds just horrible. I mean, it wasn't great. It but, was not. But I the, that's just the most unimaginative name for yeah. a, for a disease that I've ever heard of. I feel like we could have won more points for creativity with that one as the human race. I mean, yeah, yeah. But actually, I, I think that we were all hurting too much from the hand, foot, and mouth disease to think of a better name for it. So I, once you're in that much pain, you really, yeah, you really can't. All well, block thought is blocked out. Okay, y'all are speaking about being in that much pain. Neither one of y'all got it. We we felt it, you know. No. Sympathetically to you. No. The pain that you felt, we no. felt. No, you didn't. <laughs> it was like the pain of childbirth. Like, we were there with you. It yeah. Was... You didn't feel that either, though. Yeah. I promise you. You know, that's true. You're digging yourself into a major hole right now. That's okay, because yeah. I'm I'm redesigning our Take Your Ass to Therapy t-shirt. Trademark. <laughs> <clears throat> soon to be available at soon. different places. Soon. Yeah. Yeah, soon. So, yeah, you you both somehow managed to avoid most of the illness. You were sick for like a day. I mean, yeah, I think I had a low-level version of it. I, mean, I think I you had, had what the toddler had. I, I mean, I I felt like just kind of Crabby. just sort of warmed over crud Yeah. for, for a few days. Yeah. Uh, it turned up much better toward Friday. Yeah. And, and then I'm mostly you, good now. I had just an ear infection from hell, and I got some antibiotics, and that knocked it out. Yeah. And then I was just, you know, sympathetic. If you say sympathetic one more time. Simpatico. <sighs> All right. Well, everybody take your vitamin C so that you can avoid our, our fate. Um, Please. Thank but, you. Or, or just, you know, don't put your kids in daycare or don't have kids. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, Luckily, you cannot contract hand, foot, and mouth through our podcast. No, so. you cannot. Um, <laughs> and my quarantine ends Wednesday, so I'll be back out in the world causing trouble and such. Well, you're doing enough you know, behind a computer screen right yeah. now, so it's good. But hopefully I won't be back out in the world picking up more germs, because I feel like I have been nonstop sick since the beginning of September because of these children. We need you in a bubble. Yeah. I think that would, that would solve all of our problems. My coworker did suggest a hazmat suit. You can make it stylish. I mean, but you can't really breastfeed through a hazmat suit, so I'm not really sure. You know, you no can like I guess cut creative holes in it. No but one's that designed kind it yet. Of, that kind of defeats the purpose of a hazmat. You put suit. zippers on it. You need the naked gun, full body condom. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for saying that because so few people understand that reference, and I I love that movie. Those one, series one of, of the best. They're terrible. They're wonderfully terrible. The only time O.J. Simpson was funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, before we open that can of worms, so we actually, so we are going to get to our 
last um, bit of unpacking our religious trauma. But first, we have a listener anonymous question. So just to remind you all, we do have in our link tree a place where you can submit anonymous questions. So we encourage you, if you have questions about non-monogamy or polyamory, whether it's about our situation or whether it's looking for advice or something like that, you can always submit a question there. We also do offer peer coaching at pay what you can pricing. So please know that if you need like extended advice or something like that, that might be the better route to go. So I'm going to read off this question and then we've already kind of responded to this on socials a little bit, but I wanted to give us a little bit of airtime to, um, to kind of fully unpack this because there is a lot here. So the question states, I wrote in previously about a month ago about telling my spouse I'm interested in being poly. Since then, I have talked to them about this interest. It has been difficult for them to understand and we have been working through it through conversations and through couples therapy. My question is about how to get the idea across to them about how I feel. I find it very hard to explain why I want to do this to someone who doesn't understand it. How do I explain it and help them understand it is not due to them being an inadequate partner? So, who wants to start off this conversation? I'll go. I mean... Uh, well, I just want to... I want to state a bias that I immediately... Okay. Oh, I did call you out on this. You did call me out on this. Yeah. And that, so, I wanted to bring it to, to the world. Um, because I immediately thought that it was a woman or woman-aligned person talking about their male or male-aligned male spouse mm -hmm. that was having trouble understanding why they wanted to begin their journey into polyamory when there's been no indication given mm -hmm. in any of this comment or the previous anonymous question that it is, in fact, a, a female or female-aligned person. So no, There were no gendered pronouns in at there. all. Anyway. So I just wanted to apologize to you, listener, for having that bias. Uh, and since being called out about it, I have... Uh, rectified that part of okay myself. can i ask a question if there had been gendered pronouns in there and we knew what the gender of these two people was would that change your response at all um it would have because i Could have you elaborate well yes because personally i have been approached by a, a um an acquaintance who is a woman or a woman-like person who told me that her husband wanted to dive into polyamory mm -hmm. and so it asked me for my own advice and and i gave them you know resources like hey read this listen to that here's my experience blah blah blah, blah. and when it was her coming to me saying that he wanted to have the polyamory talk i was like oh yeah well that makes because because i identify with that side of it Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. This, this is, this is fine. It's, there's no, there's nothing wrong with the situation mm -hmm. or there's nothing hostile about the situation. They just want to have a discussion. When I thought that it was the anonymous caller, I keep for lack of a better term, being the, the, being the, uh, woman or woman online who was starting to, who was interested in polyamory and wanted to speak to their male or male line spouse about it and he was being in my mind he was being uh, against it i was like oh well fuck you know why why men gotta be that way what and and having this bias of well he just needs to figure it out and i don't know why i did i don't know why i did that is some of that wrapped up in toxic masculinity yes some of that's wrapped up in toxic masculinity thank could you my you, therapist could you elaborate on that um there's i didn't expect this therapy session today Sorry. but I, that's fine i i'm having tea because of it 
I don't exactly know how to put it into words, but I'll try. I'm going to get your thoughts on this too. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I'll have to come back to it, honestly. Okay. okay. Then I'm going to tag you in. Well, I, I will, I will admit to having the same bias. Um, I think in examining that assumption, it comes under the fragile masculine uh, feelings that are easily hurt about things like this Mm -hmm. and just the assumption that it's a fragile masculine feeling that is on the receiving end of this discussion Mm -hmm. because men are pretty whiny crybabies in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I mean, I will admit to that myself and I will admit to uh, unpacking a lot of that in, in therapy sessions. Um, but I don't, I don't know that my advice would be terribly different. Yeah. Um, no matter, no matter how this discussion is gendered, because my, I don't know, my main, my main piece of advice here, and and this is probably not terribly helpful at all, because this is not a situation that I've ever found myself in, right? I've Mm -hmm. never, I've never had a partner that I was, I don't even want to say convert because that just that's just what's on my mind given our past couple of weeks of uh, <laughs> yeah, of discussion. But um, the evangelization I, I, of polyamory. No, and it's and it's not something to convince somebody to be or not, and it's right. not a better way of having relationships or anything like that. Right. This is this is not a this is not an achievement level yeah. uh, that anyone that <laughs> unlocked. should unlock. <laughs> but but uh, my main my main piece of advice to tell you though is to try to convince your partner that this is not a them problem, that this is a me problem. Right. And saying it's, it's not you, it's me is potentially the worst thing that you could actually verbalize to them. But at at the same time, um, this is all wrapped up in, in your own feelings in your own wants and your own desires. Mm -hmm. And if you're okay with never exercising those because the partner that you care about is not, on board with that, then at some point, right? We all, we all make, um, yeah, compromises. compromises. We, I mean, we all have to, in order to live with other human beings, mm-hmm. uh, because the way that I do things on my own is not the way that I do things in a relationship because I'm not the only one in that damn relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if, and if that's how things turn out for you, uh, you know, questioner then uh, i still wish you all of the luck in the world with whatever it is that you have if that relationship that you have is the most important part of all of this then prize that Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's okay to have feelings one Mm -hmm. it is okay to have whatever feelings you have because they're fucking feelings Mm -hmm. and we can't really help them Mm -hmm. how we choose to act on those feelings then becomes a matter of you know using the, you know, the frontal, the prefrontal cortex of our brain rather yeah. than, you know, the amygdala. Yeah. Uh, and I totally understand. And this is right. And your partner's response is that sort of amygdala fight or flight mechanism mm-hmm. kicking in. That's why it's there. Mm-hmm. It's trying to calmly, rationally, and take a lot of time to unpack your own feelings and try to explain those feelings to your partner mm-hmm. saying that, 
this is something that I feel. I don't even know why that I feel what I feel. Mm -hmm. uh, you say that you guys are in couples counseling, and I, I'm curious to know, right? We don't have a lot of information yes. here the, to, to work off of. I hope that this is something that maybe you feel comfortable talking about. And hopefully that the, and that counseling session, right? And hopefully that therapist is experienced with non-monogamy and specifically mm -hmm. polyamory. If this is the brand of non-monogamy that you find yourself drawn to, mm -hmm. correct? Because it's one thing to have a therapist who's friendly towards it; it's a whole different ball game to have a therapist who is well versed in it. Um, and if you're kind of starting to dip your toes into it, you really do want a therapist who's well versed in it, not just one who's friendly to it. In my opinion, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we are missing a lot of information here. So one thing that we're missing is, you know, how these couples therapy sessions are going. And one thing that we suggested is that you have this conversation in couples therapy when you have someone there that can work as a mediator, right. And can help identify solutions, identify the problems, and identify ways to communicate. Um, and one thing, just kind of like talking a little bit about this gender discussion, I know that we have talked a lot about how it can be kind of a toxic masculine thing to think that you have to be your partner's everything. Mm -hmm. And that's not uniquely a toxic masculine thing, right? There are plenty of women and women aligned people who probably think the same way. Um, but I think that it, putting that masculinity lens on it does lend itself to a different discussion than if we didn't have it on there. So I do think that, I mean, granted, we don't know the genders in this situation and nor do we have to, but I do think that that's worth considering as you um, continue to unpack this. One thing that we brought up was and when we responded to this on socials was, you know, you don't necessarily have to dive headlong into polyamory right off the bat. And we talked about this a little bit when we responded to your original question. I suggested looking at Remodeled Love's um, podcast and their information and what they do. They have a series called The Reluctant Polyamorist, where they talk specifically about how to navigate um, opening up this discussion with a partner who is not considered polyamory previously. And basically it's a real soft launch kind of process with them. Like bring it up, take a couple of months, table it, research, read, come back to the table, have a discussion, then table it again. And just through that, then you start unpacking these things little by little. So maybe at the end of unpacking all of that and kind of like what Carl was saying with, um, you know, identifying your reasons as to why you want to explore this, maybe instead of jumping into polyamory, if you're both amenable to it, maybe you try out another form of non-monogamy first as just a way to kind of dip your toe into things and to maybe start identifying some of the things that you like and maybe some of the things that you dislike, some of those boundaries, right? So maybe instead of going straight to polyamory, you start out by, I don't know, going to a play party, if that's your thing. It's not my thing. And frankly, I think I would break out into hives if I tried to do that. <laughs> You sure that's not hand, foot, and mouth? <laughs> no, I'm pretty yeah. sure, yeah. Um, over it. Yeah, but, uh, but if that is something that, you know, that is approachable for you, then that might be a way that you might start to open up this conversation. Um, another question we had, and again, we just, we don't have a whole lot of, you know, information from this 
tiny little anonymous text box is what has your spouse read, listened to, who have they talked to so far? Um, have they done any research into polyamory or, or non-monogamy? Have they listened to some podcasts? Have they read some books or things like that? Because them starting to develop a language and an understanding of this, even if they themselves are not polyamorous, is going to be vital, right? Because I do want to remind you all, and this is something that I meant to put in that post on socials and I totally forgot, but monopoly relationships do exist. Like your spouse does not have to be polyamorous, right? Your spouse may be monogamous. And if they are okay with you being polyamorous and you all are able to navigate that, then that is an option that's on the table. I will tell you there is a unique set of challenges that comes with a relationship like that. I have been in relationships like that. And um, unless that monogamous person is really willing to kind of put in some work into discussing with you and to unpacking their own stuff, um, there's always going to be that thread of, well, why am I not enough? Right? Mm -hmm. So if they're willing to put in that work, just know that that is always an option that is on the table. Um, but trying to get them to understand that, right, it's not them, right, right, it's me, it's, it's really difficult. It's yeah. really difficult, and you can't make them understand that, right? right. No, <laughs> they no, no matter to, how hard you try. Right, yeah. they have to be willing to put in that work. Um, and, and in fact, I would say the more you try, the less output you're going to get from it. And that's why I like that model of, like, put it away for a few months, come yeah. back to it, because you're not bump. They don't feel bombarded, or yeah. maybe the perception of being bombarded right. with it. Franklin and, and Jamie, I would, I might even step even further back from your little baby steps. Mm -hmm. This is something that perhaps you could even role play as a couple, right? right? Which you is could, what we referenced on the could, socials. You yeah. could play sexy stranger and pick up your wife at a bar and, and you know, <laughs> who, spouse. Who I mean, who your partner? Yeah, I mean, you could role play this mm -hmm. and talk about. Your feelings in right. that, and just keep those feelings between between the two of you. Right. And 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 I think in some ways that can really help you verbalize some of the fears and things that you have mm -hmm. also, without getting stupid messy. Right. Yeah. You know, and voice some of those desires that have been mm -hmm. either put put away and or suppressed, and now you can actually expand on those together. Right. Because this is something I didn't say and. In our socials post, but make sure that you're actually polyamorous and it's not that your marriage is just going through a slow season. Um, maybe it's something where, you know, your sex life has waned. Um, maybe it's something where you need to reinvigorate something. Maybe it's something where you just haven't had a good heart to heart conversation in a while. Make sure that that's not the root cause of you wanting to try out polyamory because I see that a lot <laughs> on Reddit and on Facebook groups and things like that, where really, honestly, if you got down to brass tacks, it would be, well, my marriage is kind of boring and I want some excitement. And look, everybody's marriage and everybody's relationship waxes and wanes, y'all. <laughs> that is a totally normal thing. You're going to have slow seasons. Um, make sure that you're not diving into this just because you're in a slow season, right? No, um, polyamory does not fix broken relationships. No, oh my it God, not. it makes it so much worse. It makes so it much so much worse. I know that you can speak to a lot of experience on that score. Um, as can I, and it's just, it's make sure I, I know that whenever we talk about the remodeled love, you know, kind of reluctant polyamorous series, 
I, I can almost hear people going, oh, but I don't want to wait that long. I promise you want to wait that long. I, I It may be hard, um, but you really don't want to dive into this without having done the groundwork first. You, you really don't. So um, one thing that we brought up too is something that we say a lot around here is love is infinite. Love is not pie. You know, just because I love somebody else doesn't mean there's less pie for you. However... <laughs> Time is not infinite. Resources are not infinite. Um, so if you are, okay, I'm just going to like put us out here as an example. Right now, none of us are dating, right? We we make jokes about this frequently on this podcast. <laughs> we are dating each other, We're, right? We, I, mean, I mean, we did when, just have when, an anniversary. When we, when we can. Yeah, yeah. Well, we scheduled those out like months in advance. Don't, don't say we're not dating. We're just not dating outside of the polycule. We are we not dating have. outside of the polycule. Right now, our polycule is closed, all right? Um, and that is because we have so little time. And I mean, frankly, so little resources. We got two kids in daycare. Daycare is expensive, y'all. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I I don't have the resources <clears throat> to be dating anybody else right now. Um, and so like, if I were to come back to Kendi and Carl and be like, "Hey, I want to start dating again," I would fully expect the two of them to be like, "Can you please pump the brakes on that for just a minute and let's talk about it?" When exactly? Do you expect to do this? Correct. 2025 looks really good. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's definitely going to be some discussion there because even though love is infinite, our time, our money and our resources are not, we are stretched thin right now. And so I would be curious again with some of this information we don't have is some of your spouse's insecurity laying in that, in that neck of the woods. Um, because, I know for me in the past, when I have struggled with feelings of jealousy and things like that, it usually comes down to time. It doesn't come down to really anything else but time. And me being worried about losing the time that I'm, that I get to spend with my partner. So if your spouse is already not seeing you a whole lot, if you both have really heavy work schedules or something like that, and you're already having trouble finding time to connect, just keep in mind that if you add another person or persons to that plate, that's going to get even more difficult. Um, we can speak from experience on this with our Google calendar. Mm. So got that thing. Not saying up. it's not worth it. No, right. it's totally worth it. It's 100% worth it. And I do want to, to make it clear. We're not trying to dissuade you from being polyamorous. If you're polyamorous, <laughs> Um, we're obviously polyamorous. We obviously get a lot of joy out of living our lives this way, but we do want to make sure that you consider all of these different aspects of it. It's not all just fun and games and we all love each other. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, and it's been a journey to get to the point where we're at. Right. right? This is, this has not been a quick, no, you know, process. No. I mean, for you and I, we've been together Mm-hmm. Years. 14 years. 14 years. And we're just now getting to this point. <laughs> right. We went through a through a lot of crap uh uh times mm-hmm. to get to this point. So and and yeah, I mean e- even even in that 14 years, you know, there have been times where while we identified as polyamorous still, we didn't date. Correct. Because we knew that that was not the thing our relationship needed. Mm. So 
just know that you can be polyamorous, but you don't have to necessarily put yourself out there just yet if that's not a thing that you or your spouse are ready to do. And that can give you and your spouse time to, again, reflect, read, listen, talk, just communicate about what your wants and needs are. Right. And if you ask yourself all these questions, if you have all these conversations with your spouse and your answer is still no, this is who I am. Like, this is 100% who I am. I feel this in my bones. Um, I am meant to be this way. And your spouse can't reconcile with that. Then that may be a sign that that relationship needs to transition. Right. Um, and that's something that can be incredibly scary. But if being true to this aspect of yourself is more important, then just know that that is an option that is on the table. It is a painful option, right? Um, but if you weigh out the pros and cons and being true to yourself is going to net you more happiness and net your spouse more happiness, right? Because you not being able to be true to yourself necessarily, if that's such an important aspect, is in, in, it's inevitably going to affect your spouse too, right? Then weigh out your options and discuss. Well, I, no matter what happens, I hope that the communication and the discussion and the things that you and your spouse are sharing help your relationship no matter where you guys end up. Right. So I, I say good on y'all for doing that. I mm -hmm. hope that that continues and I hope that that, um, I hope that that helps y'all flourish in yeah. whatever mm -hmm. way that ends up looking. Yeah. I will say the, the the biggest danger that I see, and and again, communication really is the key to help avoid this. Um, I, I want to counsel you to be watching for signs of resentment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Resentment is is a really difficult thing. Yes. To come back from, and when and, and for the most part, and when I've had relationships where resentment has built up over time, that's mostly because. I have needs that aren't being met, yes, but most of the needs that aren't being communicated. Yeah. Right? When I don't feel like that I can communicate my feelings, my wants, my needs, and be in a listening place to listen to your responses to those and listen to your needs as well, mm -hmm. um, that is where resentment really starts building up, and, and those walls are really, really difficult. Yeah. Sometimes there's too much water under the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, you know, when I see people break up and get back together and break up and get back together or have these, you know, really, really, really big, um, rifts, I know that for me at a certain point, there is too much water under the bridge to continue a relationship. So like Carl was saying, don't, don't let that build up. So we're going to, well, speaking of water under the bridge, yeah, oh, we're going to switch we go. gears now Holy and, water. and finish <laughs> <laughs> And finish up our unchurched series by kind of talking about the aftermath of our departure from organized religion, which we talked about a little bit last week. So, um, first up, obviously, so two of us here are queer, all of us are polyamorous, um, and with those identities comes, comes a certain expectation, a certain necessity to come out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, because our society still assumes that everybody is straight until proven otherwise. Um, and so how did your relationship with religion, your religious upbringing impact your coming out? 
Who wants to take this first? You, are you going to arm wrestle well, for I'm, it? I'm or? not queer, so no. uh, in, in that <laughs> sense, I didn't have to worry about that. No, but those you were, are polyamorous. Those were not roads that I had to Truly. navigate. But, um, no, and the, the I really, by the time that I sort of realized that I was polyamorous, I wasn't very active in my church anymore. So that really, I, I wasn't worried about what happens if, you know, Sister Jones notices, you know, what, you know, what happens if she sees my podcast or, yeah. I, and it's really weird because the folks that I was in young men's and young women's with are now the ones in charge of shit. And it's really, biz- <laughs> it's, it's really, really bizarre to me, you know, to see my friends that I used to go play volleyball with at Super Saturday would, you know, now being, you know, bishops and stake presidents and, and stuff. And they are absolutely wonderful people. Mm-hmm. I, they are still my friends. I, I, we've, I've never talked about, you know, my polyamorous, you know, relationships necessarily with them. Um, but, but, I, but I, but I, and, but I don't feel like. I don't feel like that they're necessarily judging my choices. I think mm-hmm. they're happy to see me flourishing and being happy. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. uh, I hear you know uh, folks talk to my mom, who is still an active member, right? And they check in on me and ask how I'm doing, and you know, they see baby pictures on the socials, and mm-hmm. and uh, they seem to be pretty well. Uh, so I don't, I don't really. By the time that I decided to come out as polyamorous, I really didn't give two shits about what they thought. Yeah. And so really hasn't caused me a lot of grief grief or trauma. Do so. you think that if you had come out earlier when you were in the church that that would have raised some eyebrows? Sure. It's, I mean, uh, it is polyamory from what I understand, is pretty incompatible with the <laughs> teachings of the church. And I mean, do you think that you having, would have faced real consequences? or No, it, it is impossible to have a, you know, a temple recommend mm-hmm. if you are in a relationship with multiple people, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know any, I don't know anywhere where... Um, they would sign off on that and say, "No, you're good." Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, I mean, yes, there would be there would be consequences in that way. Um, I, don't, I don't. I don't know about you know disfellowshipped, excommunicated, mm-hmm. anything like that. I don't. I don't know that that's a you know a kick you out of the church thing yeah. unless you start. Unless you start trying to proselytize, right? Unless you start trying to, uh, you know, be an asshole about being polyamorous. Um, to be clear, we do not condone evangelizing polyamory. <laughs> Evangelization of any kind. Yeah. It's uh, pretty much a no-go. Yeah. Just the people with a podcast. Yeah, true. <laughs> Subscribe. <laughs> what about you? Um, I know that you have a, a pretty complicated... Yeah, because I came out as poly before I came out as as queer, mm-hmm. as bi. And so I came out as poly to my family f- first in 2010. Mm-hmm. And this was while we were already working at our first church job. Right. And so as far as the church job, as, tar- as, far, as far as the coral people in there, they were fine. Well, I don't really know that too many of them knew, honestly. They knew that, like, we were dating no, 
the first. Well, there was like a bunch of speculation. There was some speculation, but nobody knew for sure. Oh, okay. Well, what? at least church like, people talk and, I know. and gossip. No, I, I can't believe that. Yeah. They, would, they would never do that. No. Yeah. Okay, because I remember it was my graduation night mm-hmm. in 2010, and so I, you know, my my family threw me a party for graduation. I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, hey, by the way, I'm polyamorous. Thinking nothing of it because, you know, up until this point, it's like, oh, everybody's supportive, blah, blah, blah. Not knowing that these were the seeds of discontent that had been planted way back mm-hmm. then. Um, and it just blew up in my face. You know, I was called this and that and the other. Uh, I was told that I wasn't a real man. Uh, toxic. So since we're talking about toxic masculinity. Yeah, there's a thread here. You're not, <laughs> you're not a real man. That, that's, that, that, that was literally thrown in my face. Um, the, the situation... Jokes on them. You're not binary. Hey, hey, that's what I told my therapist, and they laughed too. Okay, well, that makes me feel like less of a horrible person for making that joke. So. No, no, dark humor is fine. I am black after all. <laughs> You're welcome for the joke. Anyway, so the parental figure uh, was telling me these things, and what was always ironic to me is that my father would go to bed before anybody else. Like, if there was a get-together or something, he would just be like, I'm going to bed, and that would just be understood. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, do you... I can go wake up your dad and he can tell you what a real man is like. I'm like, he can't even be awake to celebrate me on my graduation night. Is that a real man? So these are things that I worked out in therapy, but obviously (laughs) you all need to know them now. Um, So I came out as Polly then and then just kind of, you know, put it back under the radar because there was so much backlash. And then eventually when you and I got... But I never denied it. I never denied it from then yeah. on. Like, I never I never told them, oh, no, you, you're, you're shitting on me, turned me around, and now I'm back on the monogamous path. No, yeah. I never said that. But you and I got married, and I guess their perception was, oh, well... Everything's fine Everything's now. fine now. <laughs> and, and so by the time, you know, flash forward 10, 10, 12 years, by the time that I came out as came out it was was it 21 yeah and i think you came out as queer in like 21 yeah yeah and you know close friends knew but i made you know i made a public statement about it um and i assume that some of my family saw that but but you didn't make a point to tell them i did not make a point to tell them because Uh, it didn't feel safe to tell them no and rightfully so right but as far as religion you know the 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 when I came out, the place where we were at was fine and supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't hear a mumbling word at that point about my sexuality or about being about polyamory. Um, it didn't come till later that things came out. Right. But do you think that your religious upbringing and the religious background of your family fed into the attitudes that they had? Oh, 100%. 100%. Because in... in Missionary Baptist Church, a man is a man. Mm-hmm. A, a man does this for the family. A man does this. A man cannot be seen as anything effeminate or he is immediately branded either a sissy or something worse. And for me to exhibit anything other than those quote unquote manly qualities mm-hmm. is either doing a disservice to God and or a disservice to your family. Mm-hmm. So 100% know that the religious upbringing affected the... That's a a lot of umbrellas to disappoint. Oh, my God. Well, and I mean, your your religious upbringing, too, did that impact just 
your decision to wait so long to come out? I mean, did your religious upbringing mask your identity? Did you run from it? What mm-hmm. was the journey? I did, I, did a lot of, I did a lot of fleeing from myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I started feeling the way I feel now when I was a you know, preteen teenager. Mm-hmm. And I had it stamped in my head that a man is this mm-hmm. and cannot be anything else. Mm-hmm. And so even even in my monogamous relationships... I was like, I've got to be a provider. I've got to be this. I've, I've, I've got to be everything to this person because mm-hmm. that's what a man of God <laughs> is mm-hmm. to, you know, their their spouse or their potential spouse or whatever it is. Um, and so I, I yeah, I, I that fed into how I treated myself and how I put things on myself and how I still do to this day. And like how I have to have conversations with myself and say, I don't have to do everything. Right. And I'm not supposed to do everything. No. Um, and so that, that, those were the things that drove me into serial monogamy mm-hmm. um, all throughout you know, high school and college, because, you know, I felt like that was my role that I had to play right. in order to be seen as a good boy. Gotcha. A good God boy. <laughs> you? Um, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, a long episode, folks. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these questions that we have out here, and I'm like, ooh, I wonder if we're going to be able to fit this all in one episode. Um, yes, my religious upbringing impacted my coming out. Um, my mother passed in 2011, and I did not come out to her ever. I'm, I'm sure that at some point she had to suspect. Um, she did know that I was polyamorous um, because around the same time that you came out to your family, I came out to my family. And um, she was not a fan of that. And kind of like you, I never denied it after that, but she just kind of stopped asking about it. And then people saw that we were together and... I think just assumed that that part of our life was done. (laughs) Jokes on them. Um, Podcast. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Did they ever verbalize why, why they were against it? Well, my mother verbalized that she was against it. So my, my parents' marriage ended because of infidelity and basically my mother accused me of infidelity. And I was like, that's not what's happening here though. And so, yeah, she basically accused me of being just like my father and, you know, cheating on my spouse. I'm like, no, no, that's not actually, I've explained all of this and that's not actually what's happening. Um, and so, yeah, they were very much against it from that score. And they were also against it from the whole, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman kind of stance as well, which is of course steeped in the church. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah, it definitely impacted my coming out as polyamorous. In terms of coming out as queer, I mean, I think I've already referenced it in this series, but it 100% um, impacted that. I didn't really date women or women-aligned people with much seriousness until my 30s because I was still having to kind of overcome those feelings of, well, you know, I can like maybe hang around women and have fun and parties and things like that, but it can't actually ever be anything serious because I'm supposed to marry a man, which is so stupid. <laughs> Little did you know. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Ayo. Um, and so yeah, I I still have to um to you know kind of unpack a lot of that, right? Of of being of seeing queer relationships as somehow, you know, 
something that's fleeting. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that is steeped in my religious upbringing. And I think some of that too is steeped in the fact that when we were coming of age, gay marriage wasn't a thing yet. And so if I wanted to get married, I, I literally couldn't to anybody but a male aligned person. And so I think that some of that is probably steeped in religious trauma and some of that is, is steeped in, you know, political trauma of living in the United States and in late stage capitalism. We're never short of that. No. Ever. No, definitely not. So, um, I think we've already asked this on a previous episode, but, um, would you think about taking your children to church at this point? Would you think about taking our two kids to VBS? I know that you've talked about your relationship with religion and your two kids, but let's just kind of reframe it. And like from this point forward, the two kids that we're raising as a polycule, would you take them to church or to vacation Bible school? The only concession I would make, first of all, no, the only concession (laughs) I would make is if it was like the universal Unitarian, like, and even then I would have to, I would have to like, research the people there yeah talk to everyone at present but for me no it is interesting that you say that because i was just thinking about that the other day because i saw a post about unitarian universalism and a group that i'm in so interesting that you bring that up what about you short answer no (laughs) i mean uh, and and just because that's not that's not an overlap in my venn diagram anymore Right. So the chances of me having the opportunity to do that is pretty slim to none. Yeah. My my question is what happens down the road? What happens when the children are seven or eight mm-hmm. and they have friends who invite them to go with them over to XYZ yeah. church? You know, non-denominational cool church with like drums and guitars and shit. Uh, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. They seem like nice folks. We've met the kids' parents. They seem they seem all right. They're they're not evil. What what could be the harm in child going with them to you know three nights at a vacation Bible school in the middle of summer? Okay. So I've, what's I, your response to that oh, then? Do you really wanna? <laughs> Why? Um, I mean, I, a lot of it's going to depend on the sort of maturity level that the kids do. Because right. as those of us who went through vacation Bible schools, and that's saying Latter-day Saints don't have that. Mm-hmm. But I had, I had all of my friends were non we're not Mormon. And so I went to my fair share of vacation Bible schools. I helped lead some mm-hmm. with my friends. Right. Um, most of them are pretty harmless, but you know, the, but then they'll have that last night, right? Where they, where they call everybody up and say, well, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, then blah, blah, blah. And, and they, you know, and they play on the emotions and mm-hmm. they do all of those things. And, you know, I, I, I never really did it, but I can certainly understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I call, but but that sort of insidious, you know, tease you with a good time and then try to, you know, hit you with, you know, the, the Jesus stick at the end. Um, hit me with your best shot of Jesus. Do, 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 what do. about you? Um, if, if, if the, the, if the children get invited to a, a church service or VBS, um, I'll be like, sure, this is, this is what we've been training you for, because that is when I will break out the deer skull headdress. 
and the necklace of bones. I feel like this is going to be a Wednesday Adams moment. And get them sent home from vacation. Yes, exactly. It's like, this is your only outfit that you'll be wearing. Your pajamas will be the ashes of your fallen fallen enemies. And that's it. And, and we'll see how quickly they come back. I'll keep the car running. Oh, Lord. So, so it's hard, right? Because generally as a parent, the way that I view things is if I tell them absolutely not, what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to run straight towards it. But on the flip side of that, it's my job as a parent to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And I am familiar enough with all of the sexual abuse allegations, court cases, irrefutable evidence that has, um, that of these atrocities that have happened in the church that I would absolutely not feel safe sending them there. And I have absolutely no problem being like, no, and this is why, and explaining it to them in an age appropriate way. Um, because I don't, I, I mean, granted, I can't guarantee that they're safe at any point in their life, right? <laughs> um, but I can avoid willingly sending them into a situation that I know could potentially be dangerous. Mm-hmm. I have seen the list of sex offenders that work for churches in our state. It is not small. It's not small at all. And so there's just, there's no way that I would ever feel comfortable sending them. Um I placed a lot of faith in the church that we used to work for because our oldest went there. She went to the nursery and so like she would be out of our sight and she would be at, you know, their little kind of tiny version of Sunday school. Um, And I did that because like we needed to, you know, sing and make money and pay our bills and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But if I don't have to be in a position of doing that ever again, I'm not ever going to choose to be in a position of doing that ever again. So that's where I'm at on it. But how do you really feel? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, and that's not counting the other bits of keeping my child safe, right? I mean, the fact is, is that Christianity is steeped in colonialism. I am raising two biracial children. I cannot in good faith send them to a church that systematically oppress their ancestors. I just can't do it. Um, that would be me being an accomplice to my ancestors. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that's just something that I'm going to reject with every fiber of my being. So how's that for an answer? Mm. All right. So in terms of breaking from organized religion, what are some resources that helped you negotiate making that break? Because it's, it's a huge break to make, right? This is shaped so much of who we are that it is traumatic to break away from it. I don't, I don't know that I had any, right? I don't, yeah. I, I certainly breaking away from religion for me was a very sort of gradual, mm-hmm. right? Withering rather mm-hmm. than, you know, a withering of my faith rather than a, than a clean break. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, and something that polyamory has helped me do is learn how to communicate with myself better mm-hmm. to verbalize and, and understand my own feelings and why I feel the way that I feel mm-hmm. and then help hopefully be able to explain that to other people. Yeah. And that way I think it is, it has helped me to understand better why 
I choose not to go to a church on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. What about you? I honestly don't know what resources I had other than being disillusioned with it a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what led to that? Like, did, were there any? Was there anything you read? Any creators you followed that like? led to that disillusionment or was it just your own experience my own experience like high school mm-hmm. really really let it sink in like how two-faced things were mm-hmm. and so when it came time you know i feel like this i feel this now and i felt it then i, I can't we talked about this in a previous show episode about our voice teachers mm-hmm. saying that we needed to you know choose either to you know, really lean into our studies to really gain some improvement in our voices. And, you know, I can look back on it now with hindsight and be like, man, that was my escape route. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I needed to make the break because I had an yeah. excuse to say, sorry, I got to work on me. I can't be at church every Sunday, every Saturday and Sunday, blowing my voice out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, no, it's, you know, I hate to say it, but, I, but no, that was, that was my excuse. And, that that was the chance yeah. for me to really have you know a cleanish break and so that's why you know after when i did that i didn't go to church mm-hmm. for you know for any reason uh unless it was to be you know paid for something yeah so if you too need to divorce yourself from your church congregation just find a voice teacher yeah, yeah. just go get a classical music degree i'll write voice. you a note yeah. i'll <laughs> i'll give send you a certified letter yeah. saying on my instruction yeah um for me, is it weird if I list my college education as a resource? Oh my no, God, no. That's, yeah, so totally valid. But that's I mean, what a college education is designed to correct. do, is to help you think about things. Correct. And, and like, I hesitate to say it like that because I feel like that leads to the demonizing of a college education, but I'm very grateful for the professors that helped me learn how to think very critically. It's not an accident. That powers that be are fighting so hard against. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, but no, I, I had several professors who really helped me learn how to think critically, how to write well, how to communicate. And, um, and yeah, I definitely attribute that to even if I wasn't ready to fully make the break at that point, it gave me the resources that I needed later to make the break. And it planted the seeds to know that I could do it. Um, in terms of other resources, <laughs> therapy, <laughs> therapy for sure, um, helped me navigate it. And also this is going to sound weird, but TikTok, um, mm. there is a huge, huge community on TikTok of people who are deconstructing organized religion. And, um, in particular, there's a creator that I follow who, um, like me had a background in Catholicism and like me appreciates the ceremony of that and some of the traditions of that. But she now reinterprets that through devotion to Mary Magdalene. And so like I began following her and basically now kind of have a weird sort of mishmash version of Celtic Christianity that I practice just kind of on my own with it has like a healthy dose of paganism dumped in. So yeah. Nice. A splash. I know just a little splash of, of the old gods. It's fine. The, the Exmo 
community yeah. on uh, uh, you know Reddit and other places. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's really influenced my decision because my decision was already made, made but... years ago. But it's nice to see that I'm not the only person. Right. It's nice to see yeah. a community of For a sec- fellow skeptics yeah. and questioners. Yeah. It sounded like an, an ex-homosexual <laughs> group, right? Ex- <laughs> Ex-Mormon. It's a different page. Yes. <laughs> With a very different vibe. Yes. I am now straight. <laughs> oh, God. With that's a very good. different vibe. That one is probably an LDS Rampage. Yeah. Probably. Uh, that's a different bushel of beans. So are there, and I think that we've already kind of answered, at least you've talked about this a little bit. Are there things from your religious upbringing that you still value? Of course. Um, one of the things that I still treasure from my religious upbringing is that concentration and devotion to families. Mm-hmm. Um, Latter-day Saints are a very family-oriented group. Mm-hmm. can sometimes take that to unhealthy and weird places. But um, that, that, that understanding that the people that I am with and the people that, you know, whose family I am born into is not, um, you know, it's not an accidental group, uh, is, um, and certainly families by choice are important as mm-hmm. well. Um, but those people, I mean, I will always have their back and I think that they will always have mine and that, and that idea is not going to change no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. To me, I, I, I'm lucky in that way, yeah. right? And and those people that I met, right? Uh, the again, the people that I went to church with as a as a young person are some of the kindest, best human beings that I've ever been around. Mm-hmm. Systemic issues, though, that are larger than that, really sort of subsume at least my willingness to participate in those. Right. What about you? I still value building community, mm-hmm. and I think uh, my religious upbringing did that in its own way. Yeah, uh, but it just it didn't fit. It didn't suit me. It didn't serve me well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I took you know I took the lessons that worked, and mm-hmm. I've applied them to my life as far as building my my own community. So I I value that lesson. Yeah, and I haven't forgotten that. Yeah, I was gonna say it's probably mutual. The idea of mutual aid for me, mm-hmm. which. I I would argue that a lot of the churches that I have had interactions with over the past decade or so, some of them do mutual aid really well. Some of them don't. Um, I, I think it's one thing that churches have instilled in us, but aren't maybe necessarily practicing <laughs> all the time. Um, so, yeah, mutual aid. The idea of caring for the lesser than is something that's really important for me. I have a really deep passion for caring for marginalized people and for advocating for them. That has shaped my entire career. <laughs> um, and I believe the roots of that are in my religious upbringing. And also music. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a musician if it wasn't for my religious upbringing, probably. And so I'm definitely grateful for, for that. So, how would you describe your religious status today? Why don't you start? We've been starting. <laughs> um, well, like I said, um, not a part of organized religion. Absolutely no rush to get back to organized religion. Don't know if I'll ever go back to organized religion. Um, for anybody who's been to Ireland or um, 
you know, kind of has an understanding of Celtic Christianity. Celtic Christianity is very much practiced apart from Rome. <laughs> um, it's often a very solitary or a few people gathering kind of thing that obviously has roots in the systematic oppression of Catholics in Ireland. But I would say that I have a little hint of that. Um, definitely some paganism and a lot of not skepticism, but openness to different ideas. I guess agnosticism would be probably the closest thing. So, what about y'all? So, is that is that the label that you would? That no, you would I have no. I have no label. Okay. I have no label. I'm I'm spiritual, but not religious. If you if you had to pin if you had to pin some kind of label on me, and that's the nature of that spiritualism is shifting and changing. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah. I'm an amorphous blob of beliefs. I really, <laughs> I, I, you know, I fluctuate because there are some some cycles where I'm like I'm thinking more about it. African religions that I want to look more into mm-hmm. that I have looked into, um, and thinking more about how the universe is working around me and putting the people and. In situations in my in my uh, path, uh, but for you know the other parts of the time, I'm just like I'm just hanging. I'm just here to, to treat people well and hopefully get the same in return. And if not, well, I'll just keep on pushing because I still need to be a good person, regardless of what other people are doing around me. Yeah. I'm curious about this amorphous blobism. Do you do you have a website <laughs> or, or or pamphlets or information blob, where yeah. I can find out more? Amorphousblob.net. Can, uh, can you evangelize us on that? So. I can evangelize on amorphous blob okay. all day long. Great. Where can I donate? <laughs> the cash app yeah. is for yeah. amorphous blob. Dollar sign. The modern loving family. Yes, yeah. yes. I would, I would consider myself a person of faith. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I can define that faith any more, you the, know, the concretely idea. than that. <laughs> um, but no, and and I certainly, you know, in a in a classroom, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't profess anything other than my love for the movies and literature that my classes are studying Mm -hmm. but I think I have to I I think if I certainly if I'm questioned uh, I certainly can say honestly and and devoutly that yes I am a person of faith Mm -hmm. I certainly understand people of faith and I understand where they're coming from and I have a lot of love and sympathy for those people Um, Christianity at its highest points is a very very welcoming and and it's a faith system that helps its people to flourish and helps communities flourish mm-hmm. in really great ways uh, like all tools though it can also be you know weaponized and, and used to oppress and marginalize mm-hmm. folks as well um, and frankly it's the job of people of faith to stand up and question uh, people when they see those when, when they see those things happening um, person of faith yeah definitely yeah I mean I think that if there's one theme that's run through these three episodes it's that the faith itself is not necessarily an issue it's the people mm. it's the people 
and it's the power systems and it's certain people coming into positions of power that then poison it and then give us these experiences that we have shared and that you all have shared with us in messages and things like that. And we certainly know that we're not alone. No, no, not at all. The, 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 the masses of unchurched are growing by the millions in our country currently. Right. And organized religion has done a really piss poor job of looking at that and understanding why that is. Right. I think the changing and, and certainly the, um, the way the churches responded to the pandemic didn't help themselves very much at all. Um, but I think church serves pretty basic functional human need for community mm-hmm. and for hundreds, thousands of years, um, church has really been one of the primary ways in which people met that basic sociological need right. that they have. And and this is my, as we kind of wrap things up, this is my charge to you all as listeners, is if we are going to be unchurched, then it is our job to create that community. And it is our job to put in the work to fill that void because humans do need community. And if you do see the abuses of the church and you feel powerless to do anything about it, I think one of the most powerful things that you can do is not necessarily, you know, you know, (laughs) going against the windmills or whatever, but actually creating community on your own terms and creating safe communities where other people of like-minded individuals can gather. So we hope that we have created that virtual community for you through this podcast and through our socials. Um, and we hope that you can carry that forward to your communities. So any, thank, you, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Any final words from the two of you? Be kind. Yeah. Don't be an asshole. You, you don't mean, really need that, religion for that. <laughs> that can take you a long way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Don't, don't be a dick. Yeah. I believe that was in one of the Gospels. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. It's, it's in the Gospel that I'm going to be writing. So. Oh. And get your ass to therapy. And get your ass to therapy. So, T-shirts coming soon. Thank you all so much for joining us on The Modern Living Family. Um, check out our link tree, and you can view all the different platforms where we have this podcast available for download. You can also leave us a tip if this podcast helped you or helped someone that you know. We are on Cash App. We are. Um, you can buy us a cup of coffee through our link tree. You can subscribe. Which, yeah, you can subscribe. Um, but, yeah, please buy us coffee. We have two children, y'all, and they're just... They never sleep. We we drink a lot of caffeine. We do. We do. Um, the magic bean juice is yeah, what absolutely. we need. But yeah, we will see you all next time. And yeah, stay safe. Bye.